This is Mind Raid with the Koch brothers. Thanks for coming to Mind Raid episode two. Um, I'm here with my brother Eric, and we put out a little bit of a feeler, bro, online for what people wanted to see. Yeah. You and I had been talking about and wanted to talk about aliens mm-hmm. because <laughs> we're alien heads. We, we're space heads. We love the universe, and it's fascinating to us. And we'll talk about that for sure. <clears throat> the overwhelming, resounding interest was in MMA. Yeah was in in that of course that's not really a surprise mm-hmm. um we love talking about mma we love combat sports but we typically don't talk about it very much outside of the gym and outside of our social circle and we don't really do much yeah. outside of our social circle uh, we keep everything pretty much that we do inside of the gym but some of those stories that we've talked about uh, over the years with all the people that we've trained with was that this whole thing is a pretty incredible story and we've never publicized it that much. We've always been proud of where we came from, but it's a, it's a story I think that taps into uh, perseverance and willpower and what our gym is really named after hard drive. And it's a story that is atypical. I think, uh, I, I think it's a story that we know is intriguing and interesting to, at least to us, maybe it isn't to anybody else, but right. What do you, what do you think about that? Do you think our story is special or do you think that we're not really that special because i go back and forth with it but i'm like this is this is crazy i think it's special seeing how far it how far it's come yeah where we're at now compared to you know where we started and even even if you look at um everybody's goals when when i started when i started training with you in your basement my my goal off the bat wasn't to be in the ufc be a ufc champion that wasn't my goal. It was a after school curricular activity, extracurricular, you know, that I wanted to, you know, do just to keep me busy, you yeah. know, because I stopped doing Taekwondo mm-hmm. and I needed something, you know, to work out and put myself towards. And um, so it's, it's crazy to see, you know, I can take myself back. I can put myself in my shoes when I was a kid and remember thinking exactly what I was thinking at that moment. And now we're here where I'm still competing in the UFC, you know, and I've been in the UFC for 10 years. Well, with Zufa for 10 years, you know. Right. WEC before that. Yeah, yeah. WEC before that. But um, it's just it's crazy to think, um, you know, training on a what eight by eight mat. Yeah, it was. I don't know what it was. It was um, I want to say it was like nine zebra mats, which were two by six or something like that yeah yeah. but it wasn't much yeah um but even further back i think we've talked a lot with um or if we've talked about we've talked about the gym the basement yeah a hybrid faction which we'll get to at some point but what we're going to do with this next following podcast is kind of tell people who we really are Mm -hmm. where we came from um and we what's intriguing to me with you is to go way back 
when it was just really me and you. Mm-hmm. Long before any of this MMA business ever started up, you were a martial artist when you were four. Yeah. Right, right. Is that when you started Taekwondo? Yep. Started, yep. Started Taekwondo when I was four. Um, tell me your earliest memories of Taekwondo. Like, j- just tell your Taekwondo experience because I think that's pretty significant. And it's easy to go, oh, well, that was well, I just when I was a kid, and that was my. End. But that was an introduction to a, a way of thinking, mm-hmm. a structured way of thinking. So, tell us about your Taekwondo experience, at I'm, least what you can recall. I mean, I still remember it. I still remember it, um, brightest day. Um, I was a big fan, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That was the thing that was in. Um, it's, and pow- st- it's still in. And it's still the in. The Ninja Turtles are more awesome now, I think. Right, They're, right. I love the Turtles. And you liked a lot of shit that I didn't really get into. Power Rangers. Go, go, Power yeah, Rangers. Yeah, yeah. yeah And yeah. I was like, this is the cheesiest shit ever. And I got it. But you loved that shit. I and I could it. not stand the Power it. Rangers. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about your uh, flute at some oh, point. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the the what was that flute called? Uh, Drag was it the dragon flute? I I don't know if it's the dragon. It summoned the dragon. Zord it might. Or some it was because there's the dragon's Zord, right? Was the I, Zord? I, I swear that we gotta look that up. Yeah, we'll look it up. We gotta look it. Up. We'll look it up. Um. Anyways, so you were a really young kid. You got into Taekwondo. Uh, do you remember, did you want to go into it or did mom put you in it or how'd that happen? No, I wanted, I wanted to get into it. Um, it was something, yeah, I'd never really thought about it, but I was actually looking through newspaper ads yeah. and I saw, uh, uh, ad for Hughes Institute Taekwondo, Hughes Institute you know, of Taekwondo. in the, in the, in the business section, you know, of yeah, the, yeah. of the back of the when newspaper. things were on print and I, you know, I ran to mom and dad right away and I said, I want to do this. I want to do this. And, uh. They really didn't fight it. They put me right in there. So, yeah. I mean, that was it. But that that was always my mother. You know, I wanted to be a ninja as a kid. Ninjas were the coolest, you know. Yeah. Um, especially those those early '90s days, dude. Ninjas. Ninjas were the craze, dude. They were because like. And here's the funny thing. I gotta say this about ninjas before we go on too far. I've had a lot of people that have talked to me about how they're studying ninjutsu. Oh yeah. And I'm like, I want to say. I've read some books about ninjutsu. I think mm-hmm. maybe they right. were about, maybe they're just bullshit to make. But what 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 is ninjutsu? It's correct me if I'm wrong. It's an art form of it's a martial art form of ninja or it's of a uh, secret assassins. Yeah, right. It's ninja. The traditional ninja, if I understand it, were assassins. Yeah, and they were highly skilled and they mm-hmm. were quiet in the whole nine yards and all that shit. And I don't know all the intricacies of it, but. I know that they were secret assassins, yeah. so they probably didn't go around telling people that they were ninjas. So no. if I if no. I trained in ninjutsu and I was like legit and hardcore about it, you would think I wouldn't tell anybody. I'd just be covert. Like you would just be yeah, a ninja you'd be to you yourself. I mean? But yeah. anyways, um, Power Rangers and Turtles were awesome. They were mm-hmm. filled with martial arts. So do you think they were actually potentially instrumental in influencing For sure. direction? without a doubt i was i mean i was obsessed with both those shows yeah both those shows even the toys and that goes to the the dragon zord uh flute we were talking about (laughs) um i mean i didn't want much i i think as a kid i didn't ask for much i didn't want much but i do remember that that toy they had this toy and it was only like twenty dollars but twenty dollars to me as a kid is like astronaut whoa yeah 
And, um, but it was like, it was the Green Ranger's little flute because I, Green Ranger was my favorite. He'd summon the Dragon Zord out of like the Antarctic, you know, glaciers with his, with his flute. And, um, they were selling that. Well, I, I remember because Power Rangers were so big, they had like a, uh, raffle, a raffle for, uh, one of these flutes. Yeah. Through, through this, you know, after school program or whatever. And I would always like enter and of course I'm not, you know, I didn't win it. So I hounded mom and dad. I swear, man, it was probably four months for that thing. Like I wanted it so bad. And, um, when I ended up getting it, <laughs> I used it like once, like yeah. I played with it once and then yep. I was just kind of like, I remember, Yeah, I right. remember the whole build up to yep. that damn flute <laughs> and you wanted that thing so bad. Yeah. And, yeah. and when they got that for you, I remember going, how can that be that interesting? <laughs> right, right. It's, it's a hunk of plastic that just goes, <laughs> yeah, it puts out the sound. same shit every time. Yeah. And so that's exactly what happened. It was almost like you got it in your hands and you hit the buttons and you realized what it really was. Yeah. And you were like, fuck this thing. Yeah. And, uh, but I remember the, the buildup. And isn't it interesting when you're a kid? And there's like a drawing for something that you really want or some something like that. Yeah. And you don't get it. It it like hurts. Oh man, it yeah it messes. It's with such you. a it lets you down so bad. <laughs> like yeah. It hurts. Then now you're like you don't yeah, because you pump yourself up as if yes. I, I, I might. This. The miracle could yeah. happen. When you get older, you realize the chances. You're like I ain't getting this. You know I I don't know. Uh, I've I feel like we have we've had a tough road, but man, we've been really blessed. Oh yeah, and there's yeah. still stuff like every day. Like uh, my business partner and our buddy Brent, um, he knew that I wanted this Glock, yeah. this new weapon, and so he plotted and schemed a way to figure it out and do it. And he bought it from uh, our buddy Ernie at uh, shout out to Cedar Valley Outfitters, good good people, and he got this Generation Five Glock. And it, like, who does that? Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, I have the opportunity to go to Israel pretty soon. That's cool too. It, and yeah, I'm gonna. Uh, who, that's gonna be crazy podcast. Yeah, that'll itself, be cool. Just one. having all the footage and the shit. Yeah. But sometimes I feel like the life that we're living, and and I feel like you and I crafted it to some point, like oh, yeah. intentionally. Yeah. Is so uh, rewarding. Yeah. And it's not as easy as people think. And people think, people think some of the silliest shit mm -hmm. about you and I, <laughs> and how much money we have, and how rich we are and shit. But uh, <laughs> it's it, it's it's definitely been an interesting trip, and I remember the Power Rangers. I remember Hughes Institute of Taekwondo, and I, I remember that you were kind of a standout. And yeah, you can kind of toot your own horn because at that point in time, um, maybe I'm biased, but you were you were tearing shit up, and there were people in that gym that were like, "How old's this kid?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so talk about like. Uh, what you liked about Taekwondo, what you still, what you still have with you. Cause I know you still have some of it and, um, how that began your, your journey, I guess. In martial well, arts. It, you know, I was just a natural, it just, you know, I naturally was really flexible. Yeah. So, you know, it just made, as soon as I went in, in, went in there and started stretching, man, I'm, I'm doing full splits, like, yeah. and I'm dropping down. So you're, yeah. Well, and when you say that, I I watched you do that, and this is what happened. Me and mom were sitting one day, and uh, yeah, I liked watching you practice. I thought it was so fucking dope. My yeah. little brother was doing this shit, and Hughes 
in Master Hughes or Instructor Hughes was in there, and you ran out onto this wood floor, and it's oak. Yeah. It's just f- polished wood floor. Yeah. And you went, and Hughes was standing off to the side, and you ran out on right onto the floor and just dropped dead hips to a straight up split. Yeah. Like fully split. Yeah. Not slow warm up. Like bang. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. And you hit the floor, and he was like, turned and looked at us. Yeah. And it, he was like, "I'm not. I can't do that shit." Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it, you uh, you got to break boards and all kinds of shit. Oh yeah. What was your well, favorite kick? My favorite kick. I love flying side. The kick. flying side kick. Flying side kick. Um. Yeah, just being flexible, being natural at it. It was just um, it it came really easy. The movements came really easy. The only the only things I didn't. You know, I wasn't a fan of. I was very competitive, but I didn't like forums. <laughs> you know, why not? Um, just because as a kid, my attention span, I didn't want to study. You yeah. know, I wanted I wanted to learn when I was in class, but I didn't want to have to do homework like book homework on forums. You know. Yeah. And um, so I think that's that's one of them. Just because my attention span's always been, you know, kind of there. But I, I just I love sparring. I yeah. love sparring and breaking breaking boards. You know, um, you always did. Yeah, breaking boards was I started breaking boards like that was the most fun. But then the older I got, sparring, I knew sparring was like the applicable fight, right? So yeah. that was needed to prove yourself, right? right? Right, and that so that became you know what I like to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, I you know I I stood out. Um, we had we had some good people in there. No, we there were good, good people. people in that I gym. remember there was really good people in that gym, and the program was consistent. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, the I remember with in consideration of boards, and uh, one of the best breaks I've seen anybody ever do was when you were a kid. I don't know how old you were, but yeah. you weren't that old. Yeah. And there was a demonstration where Mr. Hughes was asking you to do something that I'm not sure you had even done. Yeah. And it was for it was jumping over the backs of four people on their hands and uh, knees. Yeah. And blowing through four boards. Yeah. And four boards back then, like a board is not hard to break. Right. If you if you commit to as an adult person hitting something correctly and training correctly and hitting it, you go right through the damn thing. Right. But four boards is a different thing altogether, yeah. especially for a child yeah. to, to yeah. blow no, right I... through those things. And you, you cleared those, those people easily and you smashed through that board. And I mean, there's I'm a lot trying... of people that choke in those moments. I'm trying to think how old. How uh, old probably, probably 10 yeah. or 11. Yeah. I, I don't think you were 12 or 13 because I think that was about the age when you kind of backed off of it. Yeah. 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 Right. Something yeah, like yeah, that. I think so. Yeah. Um, so uh, talk about sparring and what what was cool about it and what the limitations were. Sparring, well, it's just um, sparring was the true test competition. You know, forms you're 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 competing against people, but you're going separately, right? It's not yeah. a fight. Yeah. Um, even as a kid, I knew that like this isn't applicable. You know, applicability too. Right. Forms. A lot of forms are. They might. There might be some things that are applicable in the smallest circumstances. Yeah. But they're not. uh, Some of it's just bullshit. Yeah. 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 And you're in what you're doing, and we've always maintained this, and a lot of this came from Bruce Lee, I think, as well. 
why do that when you can train actual attributes and skills yeah. that are high percentage that work yep. an often amount of time? It just yep. didn't make a lot of sense to me. But sparring, you thrived in that environment. Yep. Yeah, and that's um, I mean, once once I got really competitive in sparring, that was that was like my focus. Even mm-hmm. board breaking. I I think the last couple tournaments I did, I I didn't even I didn't do forms. I didn't board break. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I was so bad at forms, but Mr. Hughes couldn't not belt me because right. you're tearing I'm up. tearing everybody else up. Yeah. You know, so it looks bad. Um, you were a star pupil. Yeah. So, um, yeah, once I started sparring, that was that was it, man. I just wanted to spar. And, um, <laughs> and that you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, after, you know, after I, I, I was done with Taekwondo, I don't I want to say it's about two or three years mm-hmm. till I started training. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, and I didn't do much then, but definitely when when I started coming in the basement and training, and I'll never forget the first um, the first time because we would always pummel, right? Yeah. I'd Even fuck just around. around the house, just joking yeah. around, pummeling for a double underhooks. Remember when I? Uh, I know you remember when I'd punch you in the wrist. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He'd put up your yeah. Kuni used to punch me in the wrist and piss me off. He'd put his hands up, and I would punch him right in the wrist. <laughs> and it wouldn't oh, be the face. Funny. You remember that? Shit? Yeah, that's that was fu- so that's good. funny, man. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. I I forgot all about that. But um, but yeah, w- the, when I first when I first came down, I actually think it was Thanksgiving. I think it was Thanksgiving, and it was one of uh, Tish's brothers. Was it Patrick? Maybe. Yeah, she has a brother, Patrick. Yeah. No, I, I'm not. John is to the taller. John's the taller one. But he's like, "Hey, you want to box?" And I was like, "I hadn't done a combat sport in like two, three years." Yeah. And I did taekwondo. I never boxed. But I'm like, sure. <laughs> and I put the boxing gloves on, just deuce, 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 just jabbing, 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 jabbing. Yeah. And then um, after that, Debo, Debo's like. Man, maybe your brother should come train with us. Cause at the time, when you were training in the basement, um, I think it was just you and Debo. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So Debo was like, "Oh, you should have your brother start coming and train with us." And then I, when I did come for the actual first week of training, I don't think I took a day off. Oh, and you know what? I I totally forgot about that. I think okay. you're right. Yeah. Um, who are you sparring then? Who's who does it? You said you were sparring that first day. You're lighting them up. Oh, uh, Tisha's brother, Patrick, or John, or one of those two. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember that. You remember? And that? I rem- now now that you say that, I remember Debo going, "Whoa, yeah, yeah, you yeah. need to get this kid in here." Yeah, yeah. Oh man, that's a trip. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Taekwondo was kind of the the basis for your martial arts experience. And a shout out to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Um, and Biggie's a big turtle fan. Yep, Biggie if is I recall. too. Yeah, and his name's Michael, so Michelangelo. Boom. Yeah. Um. So he, here's my thing. I was talking to uh, this is kind of my story. When mom and dad were younger, they had me. Uh, they were moving all over the place, mm-hmm. so I never had what I would consider a long-term stable home. Right. I had I had a place to live, and mm-hmm. I had food, and mom and dad took care of me. But we moved a lot. Yeah. And uh, had all of these different types of, you know, apartments. We lived in a mobile home and you know, all this different stuff. But I never had the opportunity to develop long-running relationships. And about the time that I would meet these friends that would, like, become really 
close to me in about you know nine to 12 months, I'd be moving somewhere else. Yeah. And so I did that. I would live in different places and meet these people and befriend these people and leave. And it like really hurt my feelings, right? Yeah. And I never got to establish these long-term relationships, so I just stopped trying. Yeah. And I became kind of a, a massive introvert because mm-hmm. of it at a very young age. <clears throat> and uh, I recently talked to somebody about this, and I was talking about how I've recently considered my myself. I'd admitted to myself that I was a coward when I was a kid. And somebody asks me this, you know, this uh, counselor that's doing a, uh, an analysis on me, proactive. It goes, well, it's interesting that you called yourself a coward because that's like a shaming thing. Yeah. You're trying to like cast shame upon somebody if you call them a coward. But mm-hmm. what was true is, what was more true is you had social anxiety. You had a bunch of so- social anxiety and all this shit and you were really painfully shy and all this right. stuff. But what this did, not having connections to people, not feeling included in shit. Like I wanted to play sports, but by the time I started meeting people and like forming social connections with people, then I was like so afraid of letting people down Yeah. that I didn't, I didn't, I loved sports. I loved football. I loved baseball. I loved all the shit, but I didn't want to play it because I didn't want to fail. Yeah. I didn't want to let my team down because I hadn't like practiced enough or whatever. Right. It was all insecurity. All of it was based in insecurity. But it was such a painful experience, like on my own. Yeah. Going through going through my younger years in teenage, like early teens, and I'd conquered all of my normal fears, like fear of the dark and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't take invitations to go to fifth grade birthday parties because I didn't want to even have an opportunity to be humiliated in some way. Right. I had that level of anxiety all the time. And it made me so fucking mad. Yeah, and it fr- it was so frustrating. I felt like I lived in a kind of a prison, and I wanted to like have connection and a happy life. But I I was certain that my life was doomed. And I've told you this before. I've told a lot of people this. At that point in my life, when I was a early teen, I thought that I was going to be in prison, in the military, or in some kind of bad situation, and yeah. end up dead at an early age. Mm-hmm. I had no real hope for myself at all because I thought I was going to be an introvert. So this pissed me off. Yeah. And I eventually, uh, I got tired of it, but the whole thing for me was sparked when dad told me about Bruce Lee. Yeah. And we were going to grandma and grandpa's house up in Lamont. Yeah. And he goes, man, uh, I don't know exactly, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I was very young when this happened. And he goes, man, there's this guy, this guy from China, his name's Bruce Lee. And when he moves, he's so fast. Yeah. You can't even see it. You, yeah. You can't, you physically can't, it's like a blur. And I'm like, come on. Right, right, right. I'm like, dad, are you Josh? And he's like, size doesn't, dad's like, size doesn't matter. This guy is tiny and he's so and fast. He's so nobody fast. can touch him. Yeah. And I'm like, look at dude, I'm getting goosebumps right now. Just thinking <laughs> about that shit. Um, I go, uh, whatever. So he's like, I'll show you. And so I'm thinking there's a camera trick or, or something. Yeah. That he's talking about. And he brings, he goes out and he rents Enter the Dragon. He puts this on and I watch Bruce Lee and I'm like not sold at all right, right. away because I've never movie. seen Bruce yeah. Lee. Yeah. And then I see Bruce Lee and Bob Wall square off in the scene where they're hand to hand. And Bob Wall is an amazing martial artist. They had a bunch of amazing martial artists yeah. in that movie. Yeah, but they did. Bruce Lee was the center centerpiece. Yeah. And he moved so fast 
and I could tell like this was the seventies. They yeah, didn't have yeah. like CGI or something. You couldn't see him. Yeah. I couldn't I couldn't track with my eye or that whatever film they were using. Right. His motion. It was a blur. Yeah. And I was like, Whoa, this guy is on another level. Yeah. And something about him seemed so true. Like he had earned this somehow. Right. Through an amazing amount of discipline and diligence. And so Bruce Lee was the first the first time that I was like this is this could give me a sense of personal power. Yeah. This could get me right into a positive line of thinking and, and you know, in a more positive mindset. It, it gave hope to the little guy. So I became fascinated with that and started reading everything I could get. And I started with, thankfully, I'm still thankful to this day that I started uh, martial arts reading The Tao of Jeet Kune Do by Bruce Lee. Yeah. Which is basically a loose scribbling of philosophy and skill it's, by it's Bruce. philosophy more than it, 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 it is, I, but it's so fucking money. It right? is. Because I, 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 remember, I remember in high school reading it. Yeah. In class. And I, I expected, I wanted like moves. Or it was all philosophy. Yeah, I ex- what one expects when they open up this book by Bruce Lee is it's a system. A, B. Yeah. yeah, this is a jab. This yeah, is yeah. a cross. And he has a series that's dedicated to like specific skills that he believed in in his style. Yeah. Um, but the Tao was a philosophy book with his scribblings in it. And I read through it. And at first I was like, ah, I don't know if I like this format. Maybe I get these other books. And then I went back and read it again. And I'm like, this is some kind of masterworks. Yeah. Because it's a philosophy. This isn't like a specific set of his instructions. What he's saying is that you can express yourself at your highest medium and you are the art itself. You want to find what's most effective because it's combat. If you don't, you're going to get iced. Right. You don't want to waste time with shit. You want to use what works. I get it. But your own expression of that, that's Jeet Kune Do. The, right. the, the, the way of no way, essentially. Mm-hmm. You're going to take this blend and make it your own and discard what doesn't work for your specific body type, genetics, blah, 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 blah. Right. And what's weird about it is it was it had such a powerful effect back then. There was a split in the martial arts community, specifically the Jeet Kune Do community. In the Jeet Kune Do community, after Bruce Lee's death, half of them were like, Jeet Kune Do is a philosophy. It's yeah. not, it's not uh, Kung Fu mixed yeah. with this and this. It's not exactly what Bruce did. Bruce said that himself. He said that this is a philosophy. And people were like, oh, no, we have to study the arts that Bruce did. And it's like, no, you don't get this whole thing. Right, right. Bruce was way ahead of his time and arguably. The first mixed martial artist. Exactly. Or the first, at least, modern mixed martial artist. Yeah. Back then, martial arts was a lot of bullshit. Yeah. What it, Talk about that bullshit back then from your perspective, what martial arts was before the USC, before MMA, because I have – I've watched very closely, and I have some experiences uh, that proved it was bullshit. You know, in well, the, fo- the foot fist way. Right, right, The Kenny right. Powers instructor. Talk the, about it. The way, the way I think about it is martial arts was, isn't a sport. Martial arts is like it's – it's a very – it's a very old way, a very old fighting system, right? But it's, you know, to defend yourself or what armies would use to train their, their soldiers. Right. Way, yep. way back in the day, right? Martial being war. Right. Yeah, and war art. Just like anything that humans do, if it's around for a long time, and this goes into religion with the Bible. Right? Yep. Um, things change. 
things get watered down interpreted interpreted right and then when you start bringing money in and that's what happened with taekwondo you know taekwondo like if you go to like the legit places in korea those guys don't fucking play right like they're bad motherfuckers they'll knock you right they will fuck you up you know um but don't, then you don't you catch yourself here. slipping on tornado kicks, bro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you come, you come here, man. You got, you got like fourth degree black belts that are like two hundred and fifty pounds, all fat. You know. Yeah, can't it's, can't even high kick. Right, it, literally it was, can't it, high kick. It's paid. It's a paid. It's yeah. a money. It's a money scheme. You know, it's a money system. In quasi cultish. Right, right. So, and even even when I did taekwondo, I mean, and it was the same way in a sense, but I had natural ability i was young i could actually apply you know i could actually apply it um but that's not the case you know with everybody um but the the way i look at it especially when we compare it to what mma is now today mma is a sport yeah so martial arts back in the day it was system what system what system is the best right yep and that that i mean it, it the proof's in the pudding that's what the first ufc's were yeah, the first UFCs were no joke, like Street Fighter. Yeah, you got you got a karate guy here. You got a sumo wrestler. You know, judo and yeah. sumo. Yes, yeah, is what they said. Judo and sumo. He's this guy's bringing in judo and sumo is what <sighs> so, they said. So you know, and it, it it's crazy to see that happen because I don't think there wasn't a platform in which you knew what martial art was the best. No, and everybody wondered it. And the the thing was, they were all full of shit. Yeah. Because they were all like, oh, I know how to defeat every style. Well, that's bullshit. Yeah. I, everybody knows that if you have the only answer, you're a fucking liar. Yeah. Right? I mean, absolution is rarely the case in anything. Right. But back then you had these guys, and I'm not going to name any names or call anybody out, but there was – I did Taekwondo for approximately two days. <laughs> and Two um, days. My thought was uh, – this was actually after I had seen – UFC. Yeah. I'll talk about that and we'll get to that. But um, I joined and I went, okay, there's nothing in the Cedar Rapids area except for Taekwondo. For the people that don't know, back in the day, there was nothing here. Mm-hmm. There was Taekwondo. There might have been some small boxing club of very little regard. But beyond that, there was no like Muay Thai. There was right. no Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to be heard of. The The benefit of Iowa is there's some scrappers and wrestlers around. Yeah. But that's about it. Um, at the time, the only Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was on the coasts that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. was in the big, big areas like LA, New York, Hanzo right. School, all that stuff. Uh, there was nothing here. So I was like, I'm going to start Taekwondo and I'll work on my kicks. Mm-hmm. And I've read Bruce Lee's book. I know that this is a piece. Right, yeah. I can fit this piece, the attributes, flexibility, the dexterity, the kick placement, accuracy, all that shit, into a well-rounded game, just like Bruce said. Yeah. So I start Taekwondo. I do Taekwondo for two days. And I'm like, okay, this is good. My shit's worn out. My hips are jacked up. Like, I can see how this could make me a, an amazing kicker. Yeah. And I approach the instructor very humbly. And I say, hey, um, you know, I've read Bruce Lee's book. I'm a big fan of him. And... I was wondering if maybe we could get a grappling seminar in here to well-round our skills for self-defense purposes yeah. so we're well-rounded martial artists. And the, the first thing he said almost right away in this panic was, oh, I can show you some stuff to keep it off the ground. And I went, I went in my, my mind, I was like, no, you can't. Yeah. Yeah, I've watched you train people for a long time, and you don't know shit yeah. about that. You're yeah. lying to me now, and you're yeah. nervous. 
And so uh, he goes, well, I got this. I do have this grappling tape by this guy, Joe Lewis, who's uh, Joe Lewis, is a martial arts legend. He, he knew Bruce and yeah. you know, he knew all those guys. And he had a, a, a martial or a self-defense tape with Michael D. Pasquale Jr., who's another a judo guy, I believe, or jiu-jitsu guy. They're great martial artists, and the material was actually decent material yeah. too. They had they showed real legit Kaioshikin and Muay Thai kicks and mm-hmm. all this stuff. But when I asked him about potentially hosting a seminar with the Gracies, who I was enamored with at the time, because yeah, uh, Hoist Hoist was a was another world mover and and game changer, and we'll talk about him at some point too. But I'd already seen this, and I asked this instructor if he you know think about having the Gracies over, and he goes, well. I heard they're like really overpriced and, and somebody else told me they were kind of arrogant too. And I went, you don't know the Gracies. Yeah, you, don't know <laughs> you never met the Gracies a single time. Yeah. Like you, this, your insecurity is spilling out of you. That was the day that I was done with Taekwondo. Yeah. And that's unfortunate because Taekwondo would have been good for me. Yeah. Just like it'd be good for a lot of Wonder Boy. You started your career there. Anthony Showtime Pettis started in Taekwondo. Yep. And in uh, a lot of the, the wins that you guys have can be attributed to some of the oh, attributes yeah. that you got in Taekwondo. Sure. But um, I wasn't really I wasn't really bought in. And at the time, there was no school. So I went, I need to go get as much information as I could. I'd get Black Belt Magazine. Yeah. And they'd have this whole spread of all the latest video series. And they had the craziest shit. They had like monkey fist kung fu and ninjutsu. That. You remember all that yep, shit? Yeah, I remember. And you, this was right when DVDs kind of came out, so yeah. you could get VHS or DVD right. sets. And the one that I really wanted um, so bad was the Gracie Black Belt series. Yeah. And I don't even know what was all on it, but it was like, this is what you could equivalently use for Black Belt. And I don't even know if that was the case. Yeah. But since Hoyce had torn through everybody, and I knew that jujitsu was something that I needed to know for you know the well-rounded game, uh, I wanted to buy this shit. And of course, it was really expensive. Mom and dad never did. Yeah. But I would go get whatever I could to study on my own. And the res- the literally the resource that I used at that time because there was nothing else in Cedar Rapids was the public library. Yeah. So I would go there and get those. I would beg mom and dad to buy me videos so I could learn shit. They bought me a Frank Cucci Navy SEAL special warfare combat. I got right, that right. shit still somewhere else. That was how I. That was the first place that I learned Americanas yeah. and Kimuras was in a little pamphlet That's in his crazy. book. And I, I had to piece all this shit together through books and basically training on my own, which, you know, if you, if you're training on your own, you're grappling, you can't do anything. Yeah. If you're striking, you can hit a bag and pretend like, you know, what you're right. Doing. Right. But if you're learning grappling, you need a willing body. And so I would try these moves on friends when they would allow me the opportunity and very quickly, they would start denying me the opportunity to even try. Yeah. Um, I got good enough that I could take care of myself. And as you know, not many people want to do this. So when you try to convince somebody to do some shit like this and they're constantly getting beat all the time, they'll oftentimes just bail out and go, oh, I'm never going to get better at this and quit. Right, right. And so I I had a hard time finding anybody to train with. And it was a lot of it was just on the bag and it was just theory and it was study and whatever I could get to self-educate myself because Mm -hmm. there was no other option. Um, But there was that fateful day dad took me into the uh, you know after i studied bruce lee and i'm reading all these books uh before the taekwondo incident dad takes me to blockbuster mm-hmm. i'm walking through the special interest uh section and at that point in time it was still vhs in the big thick plastic boxes yep. yeah and i see this 
this guy. The, yeah. Or so, yeah, whatever the big uh, atrocious the cartoon big, uh, logo. He's like he's like a big uh almost looks like Silver Surfer. Yeah. Big, they big. they brought him back recently which was dope. I, that's dope. To, I know, love that. I love logo. that throwback. Yeah, um, I love that logo. But I see this and I'm like, "What what is that?" And I wonder if it's a movie that somebody's put in the wrong place. But I start looking at it and it's like, "Oh, it's a battle of styles and blah blah blah." And I'm like, "This is like this is a Van Damme movie. Yeah, right. It's, <laughs> it's got it's got to be yeah. one of the eighteen Jean Claude Van Damme movies that he's made about right. a, a special tournament. And uh, shout out to Van Damme. Yeah. He's fucking awesome. Yeah, and I love every single one of another those movies. big fan. Yeah, I was it. I was I love those I love those movies. And, yeah, um, yeah. Universal Soldier watched it like a kajillion times. I could still watch it. I could and time I, cop whatever yeah, right, yeah. but um, I don't even know what the hell I was talking about. Now I'm so enamored with Van Damme. <laughs> Um, the UFC, the, the box. Yeah, so I'm I'm thinking I'm looking at the Quest Two, right? Right, or some shit. right. And uh, then all of a sudden, I'm looking at these pictures, and one of them is, um, uh, you know, who was the guy that knocked out Taylor Tooley's tooth, the kickboxer, Gerard Gordo. Okay. That right? Yeah. Um, there's a picture of him, and there's a picture of Hoist, and there's a there's a picture of a couple of these people, and I'm like, this isn't a movie. <laughs> This is real. This is this is a tournament, and I start yeah. reading it, and my heart starts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm going, this is the shit they've been making movies about yeah. for years. Yeah. This is real. this is happening. Now we get proof of what's going to happen. Yeah, and I'm like, Dad, you got to let me get this, and he does. And I go home, dude, and I'm watching this, and it blew my mind. Yeah. It blew my fuck. It was a life changing uh, moment. I remember watching it. I remember watching it, and it was, yeah, yeah. It was just. Um... So if you if you are just uh, being put on Earth now and you've never watched MMA or don't know anything about it, at this point in time, we had this watered down martial arts in the United States. Everybody, all the nerds in the world. Uh, energy blasting each other and convincing each other of all of this shit that is straight brainwashed. Bullshit. If yeah. you believe this, you're a moron. I'm yeah. sorry. I don't know what to say. Yeah. But it was total bullshit. And everybody was inquisitive about what is the actual best style. So you have this tournament with all of these world-renowned experts, everybody from 10th degree black belts in karate to some dude yeah you know or, yeah. Or, or a cop that was a ninja apparently yeah and uh <laughs> steve jenham i'm sorry i don't mean to be disrespectful but um it was it was crazy it was kind of a circus but you had all these people and you, you didn't know who's gonna win you didn't know if the karate guy was gonna literally chop somebody in half like this is a 10th degree black belt nobody yeah. knows what the hell is gonna happen yeah and the second big inspiration for me that jumped into my life in martial arts inspired me to to just go all in was hoist gracie yeah uh because two reasons one he was exactly what the gracies had hoped he would be he was uh slender in stature very unassuming you would have never thought that this would be the guy small compared to everybody but when he goes in there and he chews through everybody with jujitsu and takes advantage of people's inability to deal with the ground um all of the sudden the psyche of people or, or people's psyche or thoughts about combat are completely obliterated. Mm-hmm. For years, when I was a kid growing up, Mike Tyson was the scariest motherfucker yeah, right. in the world. Right. And now, 
He still is. Yeah, yeah, he's still a bad. <laughs> he's still a bad man. Yeah. But uh, back in that point in time, boxing reigned supreme. That and was fighting. It was right? the it was the baddest man on the planet. They yeah. called Mike the baddest man on the planet because, to everybody's assumption, the be- the heavyweight boxer of the world, because of the spectacle, the sight that boxing had been for so many years, was the baddest man on the planet. Yeah. Um, grapplers knew that not to be the case. Right. Grapplers knew, even wrestlers knew at that point in time, long ago. That if you put a striker on his back, he ain't doing shit. Yeah. You know, that's not to say that grappling is going to beat striking in every engagement. But what Hoist proved is if you don't land that first punch, if you don't knock me out with the very first strike and I get a hold of you and I close you down and you don't know what you're doing, you're helpless. Yeah. It's, It's an anaconda situation. Um, but the thing that killed it for me with Hoist is that he was so small. Yeah. And he overcame some adversity and he took these big, scary guys. That were all inflated and all full of muscle, and he tapped him out. People like Ken Shamrock. Yeah. And you go, all of a sudden, all my my preconceived notions about badassery are disintegrating right in front of my eyes. This unassuming Brazilian is just tearing through people. Now, this was the early days, right? Yeah. Uh, this was when people were very ignorant to the art of jujitsu, but Hoyce's presence proved that jujitsu was necessary or at least you at least had to have a fundamental knowledge of mechanics on the ground or yeah. you were going to get fucked up by somebody who had better understanding of mechanics. Right. Yeah. And uh, it, it really inspired me to want to learn this art of jujitsu. And so I went looking, I went looking for everything I could. And all I really had was videos of hoist that I would watch over yeah. and over and over and go, Hey, Hey, my friend, Chris, Hey, come over, Chris. Can you, can I try this arm bar on you? And when I figured, I thought I figured out arm bars, I'm still figuring out arm bars. Yeah. Yeah. But when I thought I figured out arm bars, I was so impressed by it and I just needed more and more and more. And that started this big chain reaction of wanting to learn and self-training, but there was nobody here. Yeah. There was no jujitsu here, a hoist. There was no Gracie Academy around for miles. There was nothing here. And so um, when we were young, you had Taekwondo and until I was about 12, which is when you would have been four, mm-hmm. I was this super, super insecure, shy kid that was in a super dark place that nobody really knew about because mm-hmm. I felt so withdrawn that drove me to want to become the complete opposite. Yeah. yeah. It drove me to want to become somebody who could walk down the street confidently and know I could handle my business. Mm -hmm. I never had that confidence before. And martial arts started giving that to me. Um, so I, I ended up moving out when I was 17. Mm -hmm. Right. And you were pissed off at me for that for a while because you know, we were really close. Yeah. And I just kind of moved, I moved out on mother's day. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I remember that day. <laughs> that was so brutal, man. Yeah, Mom was. was so pissed off at yeah. me. And she should be. I was a joke. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was a big, strong man. I needed to get out on my own, apparently. And yeah. then I ended up eating popcorn and shit for dinner. Yeah. But um, I moved out. And when I moved out, I had uh, really nowhere to, to train except for in <laughs> James's apartment. You know, there's not much going on there. And I started uh, teaching this guy, Kurt Marble, what I knew. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a guy up there. We, we were snake enthusiasts. We had reptiles. Me, Jeremy Douglas, Jared Douglas, and Kurt Marble. We loved snakes, went snake hunting. We were fucking crazy kids. Mm-hmm. And I told Kurt about the UFC. I'm like, bro, have you seen this UFC shit? This stuff is awesome. He's like, no, what are you talking about? And I, I think he got like an ultimate New Year's. You remember when they used to do that? What is it? Ultimate New Year's Eve. 
So the UFC back oh, in yeah. the day, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah they know. used to do Ultimate New Year's Eve where they would play like all the events in a row. Yeah. And you could watch them all day and it was the shit. Yeah. And so he got that and he was in instantly obsessed with the shit. So we're like, we're going to start, we're going to start training. We started training there and this was when I actually got into uh, M- like MMA, like training MMA and yeah. trying to get better at striking and actually sparring and stuff. But it, for me, when I really got serious about it was in uh, the wrestling room in Belle Plaine when I moved there and I would get an actual wrestling room to practice these moves on, which was wild. Yeah. Uh, especially to have all of that mat space. And I got to, to try these moves. And Belle Plaine had some really good wrestlers. One yeah. of the guys yeah. I was hanging out with, Kevin Karowski, he used to fight. And he's a total stud, state champ for Belle Plaine. Yeah. Um, Andy, he ended up going to war, serving his country as well. And shout out to Kevin. I miss that kid. Not a kid anymore, I guess. But um, Kevin was, when I was lifting weights, I was kind of husky back then. I was like 185 pounds. Yeah. And I was lifting heavy. And I was deadlifting like 425. And I was really impressed with myself. I wasn't yeah. a dick. But Kevin was like, man. You know, he's like this kid. He's like, I wish I could lift that much weight. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I do. I'm a yeah, yeah. strong guy. And uh, I was like, hey, do you want to roll? Do you want to go in the other room and, and get a couple rolls in? Because I never get to roll. You're a wrestler, and I can teach you some shit. Yeah. And if I can teach you some shit, we can start training together. He's like, yeah. And so we go in there, and I'm thinking, I'm just going to have my way with this kid. Yeah. Well, I end up catching him a couple times, but he threw me all over the fucking oh, yeah. room. Taking me down. He was all over me. I'm like, you're like a kid. Yeah, you're a yeah. tiny little baby. Yeah. And you're chucking me all over. He had this mat strength because he was a really high level wrestler. And yeah. I was like, okay, shit, I'm going to have to catch you in something. Yeah. And uh, that's when I started my first real intense roles in actual sparring. But when me, when me and Kurt Marble sparred for the very first time, we sparred at his house. And his house was a total shithole party house, farmhouse out in the middle of uh, – off. Blairstown. Yeah. There was there was a hole in the kitchen floor that had duct tape over it that he instructed me not to go near. This is how fucking shitty this palace was. There was mold growing under the ottoman because beer, so much beer. Uh, Dude, it was rough. And yeah. we were grappling on the carpet, bro. And yeah. the carpet was that industrial shit. So this moldy ass carpet, I'm grinding my bloody elbows and knees into. Uh, it was staff legit. Infection. It was a, that's why I don't get staffed because I trained on Kurt Marble's yeah. carpet. Yeah. You're immune now. <laughs> don't don't sue me, Kurt. It was a good time. It was, <laughs> it was a party house. Kurt's a refined man now, but um, we would we would grapple on this carpet and get all tore up all the time. But it was all we had. If we weren't grappling on carpet, we were grappling out in the grass, and there was like sticky weeds and shit out there. Mm. So if you got taken down and you rolled on one of those things, it was yeah. horrible. Yeah. Uh, the first time we sparred though, we didn't have any money. I, I mean, we were broke as hell. Yeah. And. He's like, oh, I got this pair of gloves from my cousin or some shit. I don't even remember. He had one pair of gloves. Luckily, I'm a southpaw, and he's a he's a orthodox. So we beat we both put one on each of our leads, and you're just going, and we're just jabbing the shit out of each other in his kitchen. Yeah, because that's where we decided it would be a good idea to spar in the same place as this taped up hole, cabinets all over the place, and and that's. The thing is, I think back to that now, and people are like, that's crazy. I'm like, that's crazy. It's passion. Yeah. If you're passionate about something, you'll do whatever the fuck it takes to that's do right. what you got to do. That's right. And so we did what it took. We, we didn't have the money to do it, but we went, well, we, can't, we don't got two, but we work on our jab. And yeah. then we can switch gloves and we can work on our straights. We did what we had to do because we loved doing what we did. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we trained there, and Kurt had a chicken shack. And I'm, I'm not... This isn't a name of a an outside building he built. This is a chicken shack. Right. 
And he puts all these really shitty old mats that he bought from some school and they grapple in there. Yeah. Well, um, Kurt would end up going to Omaha and we used to train in this, this, another place we trained with this dude, Tom book was, uh, this old barn that had his, uh, a mat in it that he would work with his son on. So we would go there even dead of winter. Be like 35 40 degrees no bullshit me and kurt would be out there in two layers of sweats grappling for like an hour Damn. well tom eventually said um hey man i you know i talked to my lawyer or something and for liability reasons i really can't have you guys just coming out here and grappling on this stuff and whatever and i remember thinking uh i don't believe you yeah i think you just don't want us out here for whatever reason yeah um and i respect that it's your property it's cool right and I'm annoyed by it, but someday I'm going to be so thankful that you kicked us out of here. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking that when I left because yeah. Tom was a good dude. He gave me work and his family was always amazing to me. And he's just a really good guy. Yeah, yeah. And so I knew that if, if he was telling me this and having this conversation, it was uncomfortable to him in some way. So I was like, whatever, it's no, no worries. Thank you. And I was like, I know I'm going to thank this fucking guy someday. He's going to push me by annoying me right. to make me better myself or whatever. So we trained in all of these crazy, deplorable situations because we absolutely loved it. Um, Kurt ends up going to Omaha. I don't train with him for like three, three months or four months or something. He's living with his cousin and he's fighting every um, couple weeks, I guess, weeks? in, in yeah. a bar. Back then, they, it was all unregulated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'd fight in a bar and against who? Whoever know, was there. The, the Wild West. Straight yeah. up Wild West MMA. Um, at this point in time, we had also started frequenting these local MMA events. And when I say local, it's not what people think now. The first MMA event I ever attended was in a National Guard armory. And it was in a room, like a, a, a big giant, I don't know, convention room. There was like 30 dudes there. And 15 of them, 15 or 16 of them had signed up to fight each other. And they took, a, in a giant on a giant concrete floor, they put folding tables. Mm-hmm down and they weren't standing up they were like broke down right so they were like this but it was like why put those down yeah yeah it's all solid right right right. then they put two or three military real thick military tents or tarps or tops of and these guys beat the shit out of each other on this there was a kid that was like just turned 18 fighting in this against a guy that was like 30. And this guy that's 30 is like elbowing this dude in the head. Just beating this shit. But he's elbowing him in the head while the dude's head is on that thing. Yeah. And that thing's sitting on concrete. So you hear this thud and it's the dude's skull. Yeah. And this stuff isn't regulated at all. These people have just signed up to do this shit for free. For free. And so that was the moment when I was like, well, maybe MMA isn't the right place for me to compete yet. But um, <laughs> this is the way it was back then. It was the fucking wild west. It was, yeah. It was all unregulated. It was kind of a freak show. And we trained with whoever we could. Well, I started training with the Douglas brothers, good yeah. friends of mine from Belle Plaine. I was training with Kevin Karoski. This guy, Josh Stamp, uh, was another really good heavyweight there. And so we compiled this super, super cheesy team named Team Pain. Team Pain. Team I remember those Pain. Shirts. And it's like... Team Pain because we love pain <laughs> so so cliche taking and giving it's yeah it's so cheesy it's freaking ridiculous <laughs> but anyways it was our team we were proud of it and one of the people on that team um and this team wasn't really a, a hardcore team training every week so much as a collective of local guys that supported this type of thing right was dave scherzer yeah 
And Dave and John Strawn had been kind of making waves in the local area in fights because they were just like buzzsaws. They were yeah. chewing through everybody. Me and, me and Dave met at a Blairstown brawl event like way back in the day. And um, he saw me, I think he saw me talking to somebody about leg locks or something like that. And I had seen him compete. And we just naturally, as martial artists, were kind of drawn to each other because mm. we, we respected what we saw of each other. Right. And so we had kind of a collaboration uh, of effort, Dave and I did, going way, way, way back. Yeah. Before hybrid faction, before any of that stuff yeah. happened. And so it, that's kind of cool. It's kind of cool to have that relationship. That it was goes, that, yeah, yeah. That's from the very, very beginning. Yeah. But um, I got to see some of these local events, and you had guys signing up to fight that were shit-faced drunk. Mm -hmm. You had guys signing waivers to fight literally after drinking three to four beers in the audience. They showed up to watch fights. Yeah. And then they drank, and then they signed up to be to conduct fights. Mm -hmm. And it was a total disaster. There was um, one, I'm not going to say the promoter's name because he's still snaking around, but um, uh, he knowingly watched a mentally handicapped man uh, sign up to fight, let him go in and fight. Uh, dude got beat up. Yeah. Uh, and then I went up, I went up and consoled him at the end of the, at the end of the event because he was sitting in the back corner of the venue crying, saying that he wanted his mommy. Wow. And I was like. I, I was like, you motherfuckers, yeah, you man. let this guy, you got, you sat right in front of this guy and you, you handed him a waiver. You're a piece of shit. Yeah. Wow. Dude. You know, and one of the, like one of the people involved in that was this really well-known dude, uh, in Iowa at the time. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to validate any of this bullshit or any of these names, but people know he, he has a, a substantial number of fights and he was helping this promoter at the time and, and they knew. Yeah. And like, they just looked past it. I was like, dude. Yeah, that's, Th that's the type of shit that's going to fucking kill this sport yeah. is people like you doing scandalous, shady shit like that. Yeah. This promoter was doing really shady shit up until just recently, probably still is doing shady shit. Yeah. Um, but this was back when shit wasn't even regulated. Yeah. You couldn't even pretend, you know what I mean? Right. Now you at least have to answer to somebody. But back then there was nothing. Nothing. Yeah. And a lot of the rules, like who knew Yeah. what the rules even were. And a lot of the rules weren't really enforced. Do you remember going to um, Bolware versus... Christian, when Devin fought Nick yeah. Bolaware and yep. Devin armbarred him three times. Yeah, the in, barn. Oh, it, when he subbed him? He subbed him three times. He armbarred barred him three times, <sighs> fucked his arm all up. Bolaware tapped, and the ref just kept, like, let, let it keep yeah, going dude. because I, he was a local guy. We were crazy. about ready to take on everybody in the whole fucking place. Yeah, that's crazy. But, um, so yeah, it was back then, it was, uh, you know, I was, I was training with who I could train yeah. with. And I ended up, after I moved back to Cedar Rapids, I met a dude, Jeremy Morris, who was another really good friend of mine. And he trained with me a lot. And about that time, they were having fights at Third Street Live. And MMA was getting a little bit more popular, but not popular enough to sustain, like, local shows or anything like that. Yeah. And so this bar, Third Street Live, started having grappling competitions and MMA fights on Tuesday, Tuesday night fights. And so I ran into Dave there and John. And John was fighting fucking jean shorts, bro. Yeah, The, yeah. the notorious jean yeah, shorts. yeah. And just beating people's ass, just motoring on people. It was, it was awesome. Yeah. But um, me and Jeremy did a couple uh, grappling matches there. Do you remember me telling you about the time I got slammed yeah. in the triangle? That yep. was there. Yep. Yep. So I, I do this grappling match against I'm like, I sign up. I don't know who the dude is. And uh, he he gets, I think he's a cameraman or some shit. Right. But he shows up and he takes off his shirt. And this dude's like six foot two and just jacked as fuck. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. This dude looks like a wrestler. Like he might be a fucking handful. I'm not that big. Yeah. 
So he shoots in and I get him in this guillotine choke and I'm like, okay, I got this. No problem. Yeah. He gets out. And like, I was buried in it hard. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh shit, this isn't good. I immediately go to a triangle choke and uh, lock it up tight. And I underhook his leg. And for whatever reason, I let go of his leg and I go back to double on the head and yeah, I pull down. That, that's when he and, and that was right when he lifted. He gave me everything that he had and he got me off the floor. And I remember in a fully sunk triangle, like six feet two off the, actually hot higher than that because it's my torso, right? Right. On top of right. his head. Yeah. And I got to the top and I literally, bro, in my mind, I went, oh shit. <laughs> and it. I buried my shit yeah. in my chest and held and impact my head. And I swear he still flashed me. Yeah. It, it still kind of rung my bell a little bit, but just pulling in my head and tucking my chin as hard to my chest saved me from getting knocked out. It sunk the choke even better. I got the tap. But right. the next for like the next four days, my neck was sore Jacked. from absorbing. Oh, not yeah. not from uh, like whiplash, from absorbing the tear <laughs> of that impact. Jesus. And uh but but it was wild. Yeah. You had these guys signing up that were smoking a, you know, a half pack of cigarettes and drinking beer and then all of a sudden they were in the cage getting their ass kicked. Yeah. There were local fights that were settled in the ring. This Kevin Karoski kid had uh, a rival yeah. that was talking shit and talking shit unnecessarily. Right. Yeah. So Kevin's like, hey, man, you think I'm a little bitch wrestler? Just come on and beat my ass then. Let's yeah. see what happens. And so dude signed up. It was bad, bro. Yeah. Kevin beat the shit out of this kid, like broke teeth, broke Damn. his nose. But the dude shook his hand and hugged him, and and that was it. Yeah. I doubt I doubt they ever had disagreements ever oh, again yeah. after that. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. It was a very, very interesting time, but it was a very dangerous time. And yeah. the fact that nobody got killed yeah. is kind, it's kind of, of crazy. It's kind of surprising. Yeah. So um, we weren't training at the time. This was when I had kind of went rogue and left mom's house. Mm. And I'm going through this little odyssey on my own. But at this point in time, I'm starting to compile information. I'd been training for a few years and learning grappling and actually having people to grapple with and study with and, and practice. And... Uh, what evaded me was a consistent space to train, yeah. like a real space. We were training in literally little, in little my, places. Yeah, in my mobile yeah. home. Me and Jeremy Morris were grappling in my mobile home on carpet. Yeah. And so it was blood city all over the place. Yeah. And uh, it annoyed the shit out of me that I didn't have like a 12 by 12 section of mat because yeah. I loved this sport so much. And I couldn't really take it seriously unless I made a serious commitment. So... <clears throat> I ended up moving back to Cedar Rapids, got a job at a local telephone company, McLeod USA, um, surprised the shit out of myself with my own sales ability because I always thought telemarketing, no fucking way. Right. Um, also, it's I'm going to suck because I can't do that. Well, I was actually pretty good at it. And I made quite a bit of money. I saved quite a bit of money right away. And I remember getting a hold of Zebra Mats and I, I spent something like, I don't know, twelve to $1,400 on yeah. these mats. And put them in the basement, and it was tiny. Like I said, it's like 12 by 14 or something. Like that. Right. I don't even know. But it wasn't much, but it was game-changing Yeah. to have simply one and, one and a quarter inch mat Space. to roll. Yep. Um, so this is kind of where, and I'm sure we've left some stuff out, but I think the main thing to, uh, that we take away is that we were really driven by ourselves. Yeah. We, we, there was something that drew us to martial arts, um, for different reasons, perhaps right. you're a, a born competitor. I knew that when you almost ripped dude's eyeball out, Yeah. let's talk about the time that you almost ripped the dude's eyeball out Yeah. because <laughs> that was that, that was after, yeah, that was after Taekwondo cause he kicked him in the face. 
That yeah, was yeah, yeah. Well, during Taekwondo. Yeah, you had to come to to terms with. So I mean, I was, you. I was always a quiet kid too. I you know I did Taekwondo, but I didn't, I didn't like confrontation. You didn't fuck time. with people. Yeah, I didn't yeah. fuck with them. And uh, there was a there was a kid the grade above me that would always you know our walk home from school would always harass me and my buddy Aaron. Um. And it was one of those things we like he never physically did anything. But you know, he was he was there talking shit and he was making shit uncomfortable and and um If we fought I'd beat your ass. Right, right. You know, he's one of those guys. He's a one up. Well when he's a kid in his family life probably blew. Right, right. But back then it was just a kid needing to get his ass kicked. So <laughs> we dealt with this kid for a couple weeks and it, it you, you would come every you know, you would come and pick us up. Or, or walk us, walk us back. From Harrison. From Harrison. And uh, I remember we were walking back, and that's when we found out you knew somebody from your high school that was walking with with you yeah. at that time to pick up her brother, which is the bully. Right. The kid. And this, this person I was with ended up being the mother of our older brother James, uh, child also yeah our, our our nephew yeah yep um yep. so this this person is in some way connected to us and i haven't seen him i don't know what happened to yeah, him but know. um you're about to let let the people know your your first foray what into mortal combat yeah, my dude. first my first uh blood rage <laughs> yeah um, you saw red i could it, see your eyes you it, were bugging yeah out. dude it got it got to the point it got to the point you know he's bigger than me but it got to the point where he talked so much shit and he was trying to show off in front of her sister. I remember him telling – and he no, he even told you. He's like, I'll fight him. Let's yeah. fight. I was like, you and sure? He's oh. like, all right, you can do it. And I was silent, man. I didn't say anything. But as soon – As soon as the shit went As down. soon as, like, we squared up, all, all I remember is there was a big oh, – there's a big wooden fence. Yep. And a hill. We were on a hill and a big, big wooden fence right here. And all I remember is (laughs) all I remember, I can't remember if I kicked him in the head first or yeah, you You kicked him in the head immediately. I I kicked him in the head as soon as there wasn't a bell, but as soon as we locked eyes, I kicked him in the head. And then as soon as his head bounced back, (laughs) I took my fingers like this, like a bowling ball. Right. Yeah. And I jammed my, (laughs) my fingers into his eye sockets. Yep. I remember pushing his eyes so far back, he, I couldn't see his eyeballs. Right. And I started smashing his head against the fence. And I thought that I thought that you were gonna. I'm literally looking at. It, I'm like, my little brother's gonna tear this fucking kid's eyeballs out. Yeah, yeah. It it, it was uh, that was that was when uh, <laughs> I feel like that's I feel like that's when the fighter, the fighter came out like the. Like but, I said, the bloodthirst. Fuck you, motherfucker. Yeah, that yeah, guy. yeah. Like, yeah, you're not going to bully me. Yeah, what are you I, talking about? We put up with him for so long. He talked so much shit. And as soon as we squared up, I didn't give him a chance, dude. I kicked him in the face. Like, it, it was, was immediately. Yeah, it was yeah. immediately. I'm like, all right, motherfucker. It's on, you know. Um, <laughs> the eyeballs almost came out. So he oh, smashed dude. his head up against the fence. And then he wasn't interested anymore in no, that competition. Was, he was crying. He, he was interested in telling you that he was going to get his friends to beat you up. Oh, yeah, that's right. That never happened. I'm going to get my friends to beat you up. And his sister was like, dude, you're such a pussy. You're a pussy. Literally. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, that wasn't the only time we had to deal with bullies. So you remember the time that I had to whoop that kid's ass. 
because he came up behind Aaron and oh, smacked he, him on the head with a stick. With a stick, yeah. Yeah, so yep. Aaron was uh, a, is a friend of my brother's, uh, and he was really naturally a lot smaller. Yeah. He was a little tiny kid, and uh, just sweetest little kid ever. You know, he never wouldn't hurt a fly, and he was really, really nice. And he was walking home, and I see this bully walking behind him with this big stick, whacking him in the head. And I think you were, like, quite a ways behind him or in front of him or something. And I just lost my fucking shit on this yeah. kid. I remember picking him up and launching him into the leaves and, like, chased him home and slammed him up against a door and shit. I was yeah. so mad. Like, that shit made me so fucking yeah. mad. And he, he and actually he, called. He called the cops. Yeah. Yeah, or his, his parents, parents called, called the, cops. the cops or something. And then, yeah. like, we had to, we were walking back alleys, like, losing Ke- my flannel Keone and changing was, my clothes. Keone was changing his clothes. Yeah, we were kind of every crazy. Every tree. Hold on. Change his clothes. Put his knife in his backpack. Oh, and, dude. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that while we're on the subject. Before we get to hybrid faction, we're we're kind of leading up to that point where the the infamous gym and the mat the mats really make a difference. But I was a totally different person, like to a shameful degree. Mm-hmm. When I think about who I was when I was a teenager and how much angst and ang- dude, I was so fucking angry. Yeah, I was this really, you know, I was the the quintessential cliche angry white youth that had no reason to be angry but i was so angry yeah and uh just dark thoughts mm-hmm. you know J- just uh doing stupid shit bringing knives to school i had a whole knife collection i decided to bring the whole thing to school yep. even though i wasn't supposed to um there was there, a lot of this is expose uh but there was this point in when i was going to jeff mm-hmm. and i skipped like a, a third of the semester yeah so like 30 days i didn't go to school at all. Sounds familiar. <laughs> I, 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 me and my buddy Chris, uh, we just literally fucked around outside of Jefferson High School and like went to McDonald's. And yeah. there was this, there was a point in time when uh, uh, we found these old abandoned cars by this big dome. I don't even know what the dome is. It's just some big industrial dome right in the middle of this neighborhood behind Jefferson High School. Mm-hmm. You know where the McDonald's is down on First Avenue by, yeah. by Jeff? It's yeah. in between that. It's up on kind of this big hill. Mm-hmm. And we would just go chill there. There were times where we would skip school and go go up there and s- climb trees and mm-hmm. sit up in the trees. Just chill. And just chill for like two or three hours and not be at school. And then there's this other time with total dumbasses. Uh, we went to... Uh, Kmart was right across the street at the time. Now it's Rockwell. Kmart's yeah. long since gone. But we went into Kmart and we come out. Uh, we come out of there. We don't really have any money. We're just fucking around and, or whatever. And Chris pulls out his bag. He's like, "Hey, check this out." He's he lifted a box of forty-five Full Metal Jackets. Oh shit! Right? Why? Right. We don't have a forty-five. Right. And why would you steal bullets? Yeah. What the hell are you gonna do with them now? Right. Right. Whatever. I throw them in my bag. There's, it's awesome. We've, we've, we've got bullets now, I guess. And, um, oh, hey, Polar. Yeah, Polar. Yeah. Polar's in the house. Our mascot showed up to hang out with us. Polar dog. Um, so we got this. So he's like, hey, put these in your bag. So I put these bullets in my bag. We decide to start a small grass fire with oil that we found. Hmm. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Right? Sure. Sure. <laughs> so we're like. We, we get this this little bit of oil. I don't know. This is not environmentally friendly, and I'm not proud of this. But we, we put this little bit of oil on the ground. We light this on fire. And I didn't know this about oil, but once it burns, it doesn't stop burning. No, it goes. And whatever it gets on, it also burns. 
And so we start this, and all of the sudden we get a couple more wind gusts than we we're expecting, and this shit is all over the side of this hill, yeah, like fire. Right. And I'm I'm sitting here thinking to myself, as we stomp this out, we're gonna we're gonna get the, the fire department's gonna be up here any minute, and the cops are gonna. We're out in the middle of a residential neighborhood, basically, right. in the middle of the day. How can somebody not see this? Or should we leave? If we leave, is it gonna burn down the whole neighborhood? Right, like right. I'm panicking big time, and I'm taking my bag. And I'm beating the fuck out of this fire. And I'm stomping on my shoes. And there's oil all over the place. And it's just a disaster. Yeah. And I get back to school and I smell like a barbecue. I smell horrible. And I get into class and I'm like, like I'm shaking. We finally got the fire out. And for how nobody got called, I have no idea. But I finally get back to school and I'm, I'm like, I'm shaking. I'm like, yeah. shit, that was too close. That was yeah, stupid. Yeah. And somebody's like, did you... Why do you smell like that? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I uh, went home and we were barbecuing for yeah. lunch. <laughs> but that was the type of shit that I did. Mm-hmm. I had no rhyme or reason. I had no direction. I had no hope and uh, no discipline whatsoever. And I think everybody does stupid shit like that. Yeah. Right? And there's, I, that's not the only dumb shit that I've done. But uh, martial arts changed all of that. Yeah. Martial arts put some kind of direction and order in my life. And it almost served as some kind of faith some kind of uh, confidence instiller that there was something better to come for me, mm-hmm. that I would be able to empower myself. So um, tired of training on carpets and in, on linoleum and in backyards, I buy these mats. And I can't find very many people to train with me. And people go, come and go. And Jeremy Morris, who is really uh, consistent with me, back's kind of messed up and he can't train as much anymore. And so I'm a supervisor for inside sales and I've got this team and I start thinking, well, maybe there's somebody here Fight club. that can train with me. I've got these mats now, you know, maybe I can convince one of these yeah. guys. Enter Devin Christian. Yeah. Um, Debo. And uh, Debo starts training with me and I'm not going to really go too much into that until we get Debo on the show. Yeah. But I get these mats in the basement and before you know it, uh, after all of this kind of piecing things together in different martial arts experiences, this this stuff all kind of starts to culminate at Hybrid Faction Combat Club. This is when we got organized. This is when we turned into grinders. This is when um, uh, five people that had different strengths came together and proved that you don't need um, the best in the best. You need the best will. Right. You need the most drive, and you need teammates that give a shit about you. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, that was a really, really, really magical time. There, there's, there's always going to be something uh, that I hold dear about Hybrid Faction, and because I think it was like the first official team that we put together that was like it was a real team. Yeah. Like everybody there trained their asses off, and they wanted to see each other win. Like when you we when we went out there to fight, and it was us against the world. Uh, like we suffer. It, we didn't lose. Yeah. You know, we, we barely ever lost anything that we went out and competed at Hybrid Faction. But if we did lose, we all lost together. It yeah. hurt. Yeah, like, yeah. we we went out there and we we were well, was completely committed. Clip, man. It, was, it was five guys. Yeah. And you know, give or take. Yeah. A couple here. You know, there. here and there. Those yeah. were the core guys, though. Right, right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and uh, so Devin started training with me. Then you came that day. Mm-hmm. And uh, then Bo. And then Jesse. Yeah. And that was about and that it. that was the core. And Jesse uh, was the only guy that came that didn't know any of us. 
he that, was yeah that, yeah uh bo knew us from work bo worked with uh us or worked with me at mcleod usa you already had a black belt in taekwondo and uh you know we had all these skill sets but jesse was a friend um, or an acquaintance of somebody that i knew at work at mcleod and this guy's like hey i know this guy jesse and he's really he wants to you know he's boxed and he wants to come train with you guys but the thing i've heard that you know at that point in time in our training i've heard this now right i've heard people starting to say oh my buddy wants and you know as well as i know that's out of 10 people that's true one time maybe yeah yeah, yeah. And, uh, but then he told me again, he's like, no, my buddy Jesse really wants to come. Can I give me your number? I'm like, yeah, cool. So I get, I get a hold of Jesse. He asked me if he can come and he comes over and he was the only guy that actually sought us out. And, uh, Jesse will be able to tell his own story, but he relayed to me when he first came in and this was years after we had trained together and he had moved to Davenport at this point. But he said when he came in the first day, he was really high on his own supply. He was really sure of himself. He was kind of going, these guys in the basement, who the fuck do these guys think they are? Like, I'm going to smash all these guys. Right, Because right. Je- Jesse was a very capable person. Jesse was a really good wrestler, and he was just fucking monster. He was yeah. so strong. Solid. Yeah, super solid. Powerful. And uh, he came in, and he kind of threw people around. He was the best wrestler in the room. And, and when I found out that, and I felt that myself, I was like, hey, you're the wrestling coach now. Yeah. Because right. <laughs> all I know is a shitty single, right, shitty right. double. And, uh, but he got caught a few times right away. I knew even though he got caught, I was like, it don't matter. This guy's going to be a fucking monster. Yeah. What, once, if if he's, you. if he's hard, this hard to catch now, if he learns a couple of things, he'll be, yeah. he'll be legit. Yeah. Um, but he came back to me later, like a year later and told me that, um, he almost never came back. Really? He said he walked out of there and he almost convinced himself a hundred percent that this was not for him and it wasn't his thing. And he was like, he ego checked. Yeah. yeah. He got ego checked. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the male ego is a, is a, is a hilarious thing sometimes, especially yeah. when you think you're the hottest shit in the world and you've like talked yourself up and then somebody's like, no, you're nothing to me. Right. You're, right. I'll, you're a peon to me. I'll smash you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, nobody did that to Jesse that night, but he did get caught a few times and mm-hmm. that alone, uh, made him almost never come back. Can you imagine? Yeah. Like that's a significant that's part a of significant his, his thing, life yeah. and his accomplishment. Yeah. And he almost, because of. Uh, some insecurity of the time or some some ego thing at the time potentially uh, would have missed out on this uh, opportunity to express himself and be an awesome teammate it was uh little tiny things like that we talked about that in our last podcast Mm -hmm. little decisions like jesse going nope i'm coming back right right and then and then it and then it clicks the very next time but how many people never do it they never try they never put themselves out on a line like that Mm -hmm. and how many do it and then quit when it gets tough. Right. Like when it gets really tough. Yeah. When it's not so easy anymore and, you know, you hit a plateau and you have to stick around and you, or you got your blue belt and there's still white belts that beat you up every once in a while. Yeah. Are you going to stick around? Like that's the, the true martial artist. And I used to get annoyed when people would quit. But now I'm like, you know what? If it's not important enough for you to stick with it mm-hmm. and you've gotten out of it what you need to be the best person that you can be fine yeah you know but let that if that's the case be honest with yourself about that case don't bullshit yourself and and go well it's just not for me when you're just kind of being a little chump Mm -hmm. and you need to break through that plateau and you need to persevere and so you know so on and so forth but we're going to talk about the hybrid faction um when we get some of these guests on i want to get bo on here Mm -hmm. i want to get Devin on here because um the hybrid faction was gangster as hell yeah people came in there expecting to do something and left thinking a whole different thing well, and, about their own capability had, in life 
when we had that group, everybody had a job. And For, we still yeah. trained every day, two hours, you know? I put in more time. Uh, that was such a huge... I remember there was one time you and I kept track. Yeah. And we trained for like 60 days straight. There oh, was yeah. A, there was a period yeah, there was of like no two months where we didn't have... And I, when, I, when I say 60 days, just so that the people know, I'm not talking about 60 days doing a workout. Yeah. I'm talking about 60 days like, what would we do? Striking with takedowns. Yeah, yeah. Striking with takedowns. Basically MMA. Yeah, yeah. We were sparring. We were grappling. We were doing heavy shit every single day for hours. Yeah. For two hours a night. I got home at 9 p.m. because I worked second shift. That was when everybody showed up. Luckily, most of the guys worked with me, so they did the same. Right. And then dad would bring you over yep. at 9 o'clock. And Jesse was, at that point in time, capable of getting over there because I think he was doing schooling for uh, you know his, his career. Yeah. And there would also be times where you guys would come over at 9. Jesse couldn't make it. Yeah. And he'd show up at like 1030. Yeah. And so I'd be training with you guys for 90 minutes. And, then and Jesse would show train. up and he'd go, hey, dude. Like, I don't expect you to train. Right, so if right. you don't want to, but if you still want to get some in, I'll get some in. Right, Come on, go. let's go. Come on in. We would train so much. And a lot of times, you guys would just stick around. Yeah. Uh, that's the way it was. And we trained for hours and hours and hours. And I would say that in terms of combat, uh, in terms of our ability to fight and, and to bring a fight to a motherfucker and beat somebody's ass, it was all that. The bulk of where I got that and where I feel like all of us got that was in that was basement. That for sure. That basement was so gangster, I agree. dude. There were people that I worked with that would come in. And these were the the, the, the false prophets. These yeah. were the guys with bravados. They were like, oh, I'm so tough. And the guys with the attitude and the guys that were street and all this bullshit that they yep. would talk. And they would come in and trying to be hard and going, oh, I I trained for the streets and they just get their asses get kicked. They'd get yeah. and they would leave with their tails between their legs. And then we had Smokey come in and uh, we will, we'll tell the, the story of Smokey without telling Smokey's name, but Smokey left a flannel at our basement and he came in and Smokey was the, the gang leader of a group of high school nerds that boxed in their backyard. Well, Smokey yeah. was, uh, he was a wrestler yeah, and um, decent enough wrestler to clinch people up and put them in the corner and, and beat them up when they yeah. didn't know what they were doing. And when Smokey came over here, he thought he was going to do some shit. He got fucking worked. And he got his ass whooped. He got his ass whooped by a 16-year-old kid that triangled him, beat him up, kicked <laughs> yep. him in the face. Smokey left his smoky flannel in our, our basement, and it stunk so bad. It yeah, stunk man. up the whole basement. Ugh. So he comes back like, what, two weeks later? Because yeah. we convinced him to come get his flannel. And we, we tell the story of what happened when he returned to get his flannel. We conned him into training again. Why don't you just train again? You're here? Yeah. Blah, blah, and, blah. and he had to, you know. Because um, we called him out. And he got fucked up again. Yeah. I mean, so, it is what it is. He got he got fucked up, and I'm not a fan of this guy to this day. But Yeah. Um, I don't think this guy's a fan of this guy. Yeah. yeah. But um, the first time, I remember it distinctly because the first time was grappling. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, he got smoked. Yeah. You triangled him six ways to Sunday. Everybody else had their way with him because they were better. Yeah. Um, and he was, he was a decent wrestler, but he was completely unprepared, prepared for what we for were bringing we on had. the ground. Yeah. You know, we had, I was thinking about this at the point the, the other day with the way we trained you and I specifically, 
at the time in at that history point in MMA, even though we were training in a basement and we didn't have any official trainers, I think your active guard was one of the best guards in all of MMA. Yeah. And, and that was my game. It, it was. People would try to hit you and they'd end up in triangles immediately. Yeah. But anyways, you smoked this dude on the ground and then when he came back, it was striking night. Yeah. And that was his forte. Right. Quote unquote. That right. was his, what he did. Well, right? and we, we humored him because we, we asked him, we asked him, we were like, oh, you're, you're a boxer. So show us. And as he's showing us, I'm like, dude, this guy don't know fucking anything. Nah, bro. And we're self-taught, but I'm nah, like, dude. Bro. And sure enough, when we spar, gets your ass whooped. Yeah. You know? Well, we're self-taught, but we're self-taught with an open mind, and we're looking at all these different right. sources and going, look, I, I've studied three different styles, and I can tell what works. I watch. I was watching boxing my whole life. Yeah. I loved combat sports. It yeah. wasn't like I wasn't watching boxing. Right. And so this guy comes in, he starts throwing, showing this really rudimentary shit, and we're like, meh. Nah. So a, yeah. I watch him spar you and everybody else, and he gets embarrassed. Yeah. He got kicked in the head. He got fucking worked over. Um, We don't see this guy for two years. No. More than that. It, it was years and years and years and years. But, two or um, three. He, he came in, and he came in a total local hero and got chewed up and spit out, and he wasn't the only one. Yeah. There were a lot of people that came in here talking that talk, leaving with their tails between their legs. Yeah. And uh, we quickly re- developed a reputation. And I, at the point in time, I didn't know how good we were. Yeah. I had no frame of reference. I was still, and I think all of us to a point were like, hey, we're self-taught. Mm-hmm. And that might have put us out there in the cage when we did compete with this, you know, this hunger. Like, yeah. you know, I'm almost an animal. But we were super, super good. Yeah. You know, we, we we just didn't really know how good we were until we started cross-training with people. And then we were like, oh, shit. Oh, oh. We're, but yeah. uh, it's important for people to know that this whole thing went from um, us not having any capacity to know what could have happened to us literally forging our own yeah, future. At this point in time, we had not been classically trained in anything with the exception of you being classically trained in Taekwondo. Mm-hmm. When Hybrid Faction started up, uh, everything at that point in time uh, that I was bringing to the table was self-taught. It yeah. was stuff that I had collected. And while I don't know anything compared to what I know now, I knew quite a bit. Yeah. And I, I knew enough that I could tell you guys and teach you guys, and then you guys could go out and search for more and we, information. We and questioned ourselves too much because when we started competing, that's when we yep. realized we knew what we well, knew what yeah. we were doing. Yeah, you know? and we lived it. You know, yeah. we we had a, a level of confidence because we had a level of preparedness. If you do this shit. All day with every free amount of your available time. Yeah. You develop confidence because it becomes ingrained in your, your being. Right. You know, and that's the way it was with us. There were times when I remember we were training in that place and I could feel myself getting sick. Yeah. I could feel, I could feel that my immune system was so beat down from, from training, training so that I was, I was like, well, I'm gonna get sick tomorrow yeah, because yeah. I trained too hard tonight. Like yeah. we, we, I got to the end of the, my rope, but part of that was just a testament to how how badass those guys were and how much we pushed each other. We had the five, sometimes we had six guys in there, but usually five guys pushing for two and a half hours and it, there was no breaks. Yeah. yeah. It was like, okay, we're going again another 30 minutes. And it yep. was just, it was wild shit. And that, we're not even into Valhalla yet. Right. Um, so, but the point is this, when I was a kid, I used to get these uh, motivational speakers. Mm-hmm. They'd come into Jeff, you know, they probably did wash. And yeah. And you listen to them and they sound good and everything. But when I was a kid and insecure, I was like, that's not real no. or, th- or that's not typical, you know? Right. I had all these really dark thoughts about I'm just going to be mediocre. That was my biggest fear yeah. that I was going to get a job 
and I was going to be somebody's bitch basically, yeah. you know, I, 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 and I'm not trying to disrespect people, but like, I can't identify with, it's not personality wise with, yeah, with, I can't identify with not forging your own path or trying to envelop yourself in some passion of yours. Right. So the idea of working for some, it, it really didn't sit well with me, it, it, but I really feared it. I thought that that would maybe be my destiny or military or something. Mm -hmm. And martial arts through nothing but self teaching and passion for something suddenly now puts us in a position where we're attracting each other to other people, other like-minded people. Yeah. And those passions are kind of coalescing and um, building momentum. They're feeding off of each other. And up to this point, we had had absolutely no help. And after this point, we didn't have any help for a long time. Yeah. It would only be years later when you would go to Milwaukee where we would have our first contact with an actual professional coach. We did some cross training with Pat Milicic mm -hmm. um, in the hybrid faction days, which we'll talk about, but it wasn't like consistent. It was no. just very, it was spattering here and there. Yeah. So up until you had what, 10, 12 wins, something like that. I don't remember how much you had when you went, when you moved to Dukes. Nine. Um, nine you, you're for a nine foot yeah nine and oh in in fights in professional fights and you hadn't had in mma or jujitsu or anything you finished most of your shit with jujitsu you yeah. hadn't you hadn't had any official coaching right you hadn't had any black belts that were nope. tutoring you it was just the shit we did in that basement mm -hmm. it, that blows my mind now when i think about it because these motivational speakers used to say all the time look man if you're passionate about something and you chase You'll it don't do it and after 20 years, it'll happen. Yeah. Like you'll start to build enough momentum that it can't not happen unless you like really go out of your way to fuck over your own life. Right. Right. And so I, I, we just kind of ran with that. We, mm -hmm. we took an opportunity and I think about some similar comparison and I can't think of any, that's yeah. why I think that our gym's pretty special, more yeah. special than I give it credit for. Because imagine somebody going, um, you know what, I'm going to decide to be a professional fighter and I'm going to teach myself all the skills because there's no teacher like yeah a part of me is like what the hell did you even attempt this thing for? right but i really didn't attempt anything i just started training in martial arts and then other people who wanted to fight and compete they started training with me and before i knew it debo was taking a fight yeah yeah he's like hey hey uh coach i'm uh i'm going to des moines to fight this old dude named ronnie Britt." yeah, yeah. and i'm like okay he's like bows with me don't worry i'll be good i'm like dude what like i was your coach like, yeah, yeah. You, you can't just make this call without asking me but uh it was a wild wild time and the the things that we had to go through just to get to hybrid faction were insane yeah and lifetime if we weren't obsessed to a, a almost an unhealthy degree with with fighting and combat and war oh and God. martial arts we would have never stuck through nope. it. We would have never stuck through it long enough to go get those zebra mats, let alone a few year, like a year or two later when we went to Minnesota and got even more zebra mats to, to increase our training space yep. to like 18 feet instead yeah. of 12. Yep. So, um, it, it, we, it was just passion. It was all passion. So that the point, I guess for me that I want to illustrate to people that are listening to this is, uh, this is a testament to the, the power of, uh, faith and, and, and passion and perseverance mm -hmm. if you want something and you're that passionate about it you can go online you can go to the library you yeah. can start studying you can obsessively study you can get mentors that will speed up your studying and someday in 10 to 15 years you'll be able to make money or at least have some kind of revenue stream for no other reason that you're as experienced as you are in any given subject yeah 
So why wouldn't you chase your dream? Right. Why would you settle and go, well, this is a good job. Well, this is a nice career. Mm-hmm. Mom, I, I said this in our last podcast, we're so fortunate that we had a mom that said, don't do that. Yeah. Don't at a young age, my mom said, be poor and super happy before you be rich and, and super sad. And I know a lot of people that are very wealthy and I'm happy. Um, and I know, I know some people that are wealthy and very happy. And I think if I was more wealthy right now, I'd be a lot more happy. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not true. I'm happy as fuck. But, uh, you know, it's true. Like I would rather scrape by and love my life than be 100%. incredibly rich and just be like, ugh, all 100%. the time. Yep. In, in that, I'm, I'm really proud, uh, not only of you and I, but of our entire team and the people that the, our listeners are going to talk to and some of the stories and the characters like Papagni and yeah. and Bo and, and Brant and all these guys to meet these guys because the hard drive story is uh, pretty incredible and it's a testament to um, will and cooperation. Yeah. If, yeah. if it wasn't for cooperation, like I, I, I'm now at a point where I can take credit for making sure that this idea moved forward. Mm-hmm. And that I never let go of it and I kept it moving and I kept it moving. And uh, I know that I have an important part of this, but if there wasn't people there, it wouldn't matter anyway. Right. And if there wasn't people there, we would have never gotten as far as we did. So uh, I'm, we were looking forward. I think me and my brother are looking forward to bringing you guys some of the personalities. Uh, we're characters ourselves, but you, you guys haven't really heard anything until you hear some of these cats. These are some yeah, of the man, best in the world. Yeah. They're hilarious. Uh, and, and the cool thing is they're going to corroborate the, the madness of a hybrid faction of Valhalla of, yep. of our own Jim and Lamont Valhalla MMA. Yep. Uh, some of the shit you and I did there, it was yeah. bonkers. Yeah. Well, I mean, just how many gyms we've gone. It's been, it's been a lifetime, man. And how many it's... have we seen the competitors or whatever come and go and yeah. come and go. Yep. There's, there's people that consider themselves our competitors right now that we were training for 15 or 20 years, you know, yeah. or 15 years at least in some mm-hmm. form of martial arts before they even knew what martial arts they were. I'm like, bro, like I I'm not paying attention to you. Like yeah. I mean, we've had, yeah. four, we've had yeah. three or four schools that have claimed to be competitors and that stuff come and go. I'm competing with myself at this point in time. Yeah. My, our legacies are defined by how much we push ourselves, not anybody else. Yeah. And uh, it's been a trip to watch this whole thing because in the very beginning, MMA was so, it was brutal. Mm-hmm. And it was unregulated and it was the wild west. And, um, I don't know what you think, but we'll get, uh, we'll get an opportunity to go into all of our different gyms in our next podcast. But I think that the big turning point for MMA was, uh, Forrest Griffin and Stefan Bonner. Yeah. I think that fight, the ultimate fighter finale, when people were calling people on the phone and going, dude, you got to turn on this fight right now. It's crazy. Yep. That was when MMA was like completely thrust into the mainstream. And that was when I noticed that. You know, prior, it was kind of this underground thing that we really liked and we, we felt like we were a part of this community because we were. Mm-hmm. There was like 10,000, 15,000 people across the country keeping this sport alive because it was a blackout. And we yeah. were some of those people. Uh, but when that fight took place, that was when I was like, okay, here comes big money. Here comes big exposure. This sport is finally going to get its due and people are going to ruin it probably. <laughs> <laughs> to some degree, they're going to ruin it. Anything, someone. And, and, and it, was be- it was because money, right? It's because right, we saw right. boxing get corrupted with money, and we knew that the injection of money would make it kind of a circus sideshow instead of this awesome underground thing that we Right. Had. And I still love MMA to death, but there was definitely something special about it back then mm-hmm. before the mainstream took a hold of it, and all the nerds at the bar were like, I know what I they, do. They if know I was what they're talking about now. The, the, yeah. Man, they're lucky I got hurt when I was playing ball, or I'd be in there kicking everybody. <laughs> yep. 
Yeah. So, uh, guys, thanks for listening. We are going to uh, wrap it tonight, uh, telling you guys how we kind of came up in this business. We haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg, really. Hybrid oh, faction is where fa- hybrid faction is really where the story starts. Well, and even 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 from my side of the story, like you know, with with Taekwondo going into you know that that's that was my transition into into hybrid faction. So we'll talk more about hybrid faction, and then you know then it gets it gets even crazier. It goes into Valhalla's. <laughs> Valhalla's where shit. There's the just most a lot gangster. of shit went down, man. Yeah. So um, it's a saga. Be, yeah. Um, the, the, what we've talked to you about today is fairly tame. Yeah. It's compared it's, to what we were kids. Yeah, it gets crazy. We were kids when we grew into adults and we decided to train with no pads on the walls and concrete and bloody knuckles and cut Achilles tendons and mm-hmm. shit, you know, training to me, training in the grass and training in the chicken shack and on linoleum and in trailers, that's crazy enough. But the, the intensity yeah. of hybrid Picks faction and, and of the armory in all of these places was crazy crazy and i think there's a lot of professional mixed martial artists now that couldn't hack that kind of shit yeah and would and would go that ain't that shit ain't for me and if they were to have come into the sport when it wasn't like highly specialized training and a lot of skill work Mm -hmm. but it was like that kind of environment a lot of people can't handle that shit no you know and there were a lot of people and we'll talk about that with you know valhalla and and hybrid the the attrition rate Mm -hmm. the amount of dudes that say they want to fight until it's time to do what fighters so actually do. Down. And it's in man that we're going to do a whole episode on, on the phonies oh, at dude, some yeah, point yeah, in time, well, because there's that's, a lot of them. there's some gold shit in there, yeah. but we've brought you up to the point in our MMA journey where we are uh, now forming a team called hybrid faction combat club. This is where professional mixed martial arts for uh, the people within our group uh, officially began and our most uh, intensive training and our steepest learning curve took place. Uh, hybrid faction was on Wilson Avenue drive in my basement and it was a tiny little spot, but, uh, five brothers got together and, uh, built a team that eventually became a legacy that we built, uh, our current gym, uh, behind as well. We're also going to talk about, uh, collaboration and joining forces with a guy that I had known in the beginning, Dave Scherzer, that I'd met at the Blairstown brawls. And Dave, uh, is the guy that named hard drive performance center, uh, under hard drive team, hard drive. And we collaborated and joined forces with him and Hybrid Faction. And we'll talk about how we did join forces, why we joined forces, why it was an easy choice. And uh, we're going to go into the history of Hybrid. My hope is that I can get a hold of some of these cats. Um, they're busy. Devin is now a, a total... Uh, Fish nerd? He's a, he's, a, he's a star fisherman. His shit yeah. kills all my shit. My social media presence sucks in his wake. He's killing the fish game. Yeah, he is, man. Um, And that's awesome. I'm super happy for him. But I know he'll get on this podcast and he'll make time to come talk about some of this crazy shit. Um, Jesse's still in the gym. Jesse's uh, coaching his son in Hard Drive Wrestling Club, which is awesome. To to be able to have these guys still in our life, Bo still on the mat, you you coaching with me coaching there. And um, everybody still, uh, for the most part, except for Debo, and he's he's on the lake, so it's all good. But uh, he still gets in and he still touches base and to have that brotherhood and still have these guys around is a real treat all the years later, because back in that basement, that's when we started talking about this Yep. in that basement. That's when I was like, guys, we need to, that's when ideas started, we need to start act. We need to actually have a gym. There's no gym here. We yeah. need to create a place where people like us don't have to take this long ass brutal trip guys. Cause listeners, listen, we didn't have coaches making this learning curve great where we didn't have to make mistakes we were in a combat sport that we were figuring out on our on our own so uh 
you know, we wanted, I wanted to build a world-class facility for us so we could all become old men someday and train and talk shit to all the new fighters and have a great time. It, but, but give Cedar Rapids the gym that it really deserved. Yeah. And this is when this idea was kind of born where we were, we were like, Hey man, from the depths, we're going to come from the basement. We're going to go from the basement to the mountaintop. You know what I mean? And, uh, that's kind of when the belief in the idea and the faith of, uh, a real gym and a, a team was kind of born. So I'm stoked to, to talk about that. I want to get Bo here. I want to get you here. Hopefully we can get some more mics and do a four way. Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, and get the whole team, the whole team here because these guys can corroborate the story. And I want to make sure that the story is, is kept well and I'll have pictures and everything. This, For sure. This might take a while because I'm going to have to edit some cool shit in. Yeah. Like the Dragon Zord flute. But hopefully our next episode we can go into Hybrid Faction. And we're going to continue in this odyssey. Like Eric said, we had like six or seven gyms that we moved to and four from. And every one of them had their own personal little Special era. Special thing, yeah. Uh, it, up to and including Valhalla's basement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, in, the, in the ice tub. So, guys, thanks for listening. We don't want to take up too much of your time. We appreciate you guys checking out episode two. And you've learned a little bit about our journey. You're going to go through our entire journey. We're going to help tell the whole story about MMA. Get that out of your way. That'll give you a clear perspective of, of where me and Eric are coming from. And then we can talk about the aliens all the cool shit that we're really interested in after that so uh, brother any uh, closing thoughts uh no no i just uh like i said i i kind of let keone uh, take the wheel on this one like and, I said, and let's say why because you're tired as shit right no now. i'm tired as shit i'm dealing with personal <laughs> shit too but <laughs> you haven't slept he hasn't slept in like three days like so three days it's been times. like three days i feel like i'm an army ranger right now like training for i remember <laughs> when we did <laughs> kicks on the tiger no i'm super tired you can probably tell by my yawning but no not only that you know i my story was i did taekwondo for such a long time and then i I branched over into hybrid faction and it'll be cooler when we get these guys here that way, like Keone said, it can be more of a accurate yeah. pool. And, and there was a, there was this time, you know, that I was training kind of on my own with all these different people. So, um, I had to tell that and I had to honor those people because they were my training partners at one point too. But the, the real, tr- the real training, the real team was hybrid faction. Yeah. And when we go into that, uh, that's when kind of our story actually, our MMA story mm-hmm. actually starts. All my credit in martial arts up to that point goes to Bruce Lee. Yeah. I think Bruce Lee is the first mixed martial artist, the forefather of mixed martial arts. A lot of other mixed martial artists, high-level people, goats, they agree the same. Um, But that was the philosophy that kind of was the precursor to it. And that's the philosophy that I had adhered to. When you came in with uh, Taekwondo, you had a lot of attributes already built in. You were the kicker. Yeah. You were the one to teach kicks and range, and and you still are popping at range. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, that was when we had to – congeal everything together we yeah. had to give everybody ground games everybody had to learn some degree of wrestling yep. in the clinch that yep. was where our that, that shit was our bread and butter yep. clinching and grinding people to, to dust mm-hmm. um so we'll talk more about that but guys thanks for uh hanging out with us for a while brother i appreciate it even though you're tired next time we'll get more sleep hey, and we'll we'll kill i'm gonna be i'm gonna be wired next time. <laughs> get a bang i'll be good yeah all right cool brother i appreciate right. it thank you all guys right. thanks for sticking with us and we'll see you for episode three This podcast is made possible by Gail and Douglas Koch and the family hard drive. Music courtesy of Mike Chino.